I don't think it needs to be argued that suffering is a part of day-to-day -day life that no one can escape. It's just a matter of time or circumstances, but there simply is not a place on planet Earth where you can hide from suffering or avoid pain. There are those sufferings that we can see coming for us, suffering that can come as the result of wrong decisions that we have made. It's no surprise, for example, for a chain smoker that the results from the exam show lung cancer. Or the drinker ought not to be surprised when the doctor informs him or her that, that gnawing pain in their abdomen is the beginning of, of a d deadly disease. But then there's pain, however, that, that is completely unexpected, like the tremor that starts the house shaking in the middle of the night in so many parts of the world, or an accident that you were not anticipating at all, or you just go shopping at Walmart and suddenly some deranged person starts to shoot. Well, suffering can come to us in two ways that can be rather distinct. First is the suffering that we experience in our own body or our mind. It can be an incurable disease, a moral tragedy, a dream unfulfilled. It's the pain that we translate in the pre pre present tense, in the first person singular. I hurt. I suffer. I'm experiencing pain. And then there's the pain that comes to us when someone we love suffers. A child, a spouse, a close friend. It's not my cancer, it's not my cardiovascular problem, but in a sense it still is, because it's the cancer, it's the pain of somebody that we love dearly. It is the heart problem of a lifelong friend. It is the marriage breakup of friends that we've spent so many hours with, we've been on camping trips and all that. Well, in the passage that we heard read, both types of pain come calling. One is the death of a daughter, and it's the pain of a suffering father. And the other comes as the painful experience of a woman who has been bleeding for, for 12 long years. Now, we, we have no interest in studying human pain or suffering in and of itself. That would be a rather depressing exercise. But what we want to think about is, is how, what Christ does with us and what Christ does in us in these moments of pain and how he helps us not just survive, but triumph in the midst of pain and suffering. Because at the end of our day, what determines our quality of life is not the force of pain that grasps us within its claws, but what we do in those moments of suffering. And this is precisely what we can see from Jairus and the woman in our passage today. Now, the, the author does something rather unusual as, as he tells us the story of Jairus. Instead of just giving us the whole story of Jairus and, and the healing, and then the whole story of the woman with, with the bleeding as a separate miracle, he embeds the one story in the other one. Now, that, 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 that's an unusual event in the 
Gospels, but I think it's full of practical lessons as we will see. We're introduced to two very different people here. Um, one is a man, obviously, and one is a, is a woman. He's rich, she's poor, because she has spent her whole life savings on doctor and me medication. He has a name, he's Jairus. Her name is not g given to us. He has a religious affiliation. He's a religious leader. He's, he has a, a specific role in the local synagogue. Um, we're not told if she has any religious convictions at all. Um, in, in any event, she would have been excluded from the public religious gathering for the last 12 years. He has a family and servants. Luke is silent with regards to this woman's family, and again, she would have been excluded from normal family relationships for the last 12 years. And so there's a world of difference between these two people that enter center stage into this gospel story. But what brings them into this gospel story is their common denominator. Both of them have an urgent need of Christ. Jairus needs Christ to come and to heal or to re resurrect his daughter. The woman needs Christ to stop her bleeding, to free her from her social isolation and shame, and to allow her to have a normal life once again. So the first person we actually meet is Jairus. And so let's take a little closer look at him. Jesus has just crossed the lake, and the people have received him with great joy. There's a lot of expectation in the crowd, and, and they're hoping something great will happen. And suddenly, there, there's a surprising event that, that kind of just distorts the whole thing. I mean, Jairus comes up to Jesus, and he throws himself at our Lord's feet. He intrudes in the scene, and he breaks up the party. And it's quite a moving picture, actually. I mean, try to imagine what's going on. He's a leader of the synagogue with all his flowing robes and his turban and his status, and he comes to Jesus and he falls on his knees. Now we know that Jews usually pray standing up, with their hands to heaven, with their eyes open. But here comes Jairus, and he's not concerned about protocol or what people might think about him. No, no, right there in the front of this crowd, this synagogue leader drops to his knees before an itinerant rabbi, a leader of a group of unlearned men. And all the rules and regulations that were part of his role as a religious teacher are pushed aside. And before an astonished crowd, Jairus comes and asks a favor of this son of a carpenter that he hardly knows. His request is simple. Please, come to my house. I have a daughter, an only daughter. She's 12 years old. She's about to die. Just, just please come to my house. If you would come to my house, all would be well. And so Jairus believes that if he comes in, his daughter will live. And it's a faith that expects a miracle from Jesus. You know, you have to ask yourself, how many problems in our lives would be solved if we would just invite Jesus into our homes? Well, the second person enters the scene in a very different way. 
The crowd is large, and it's often pressing against Jesus, and it, it, as it forces its way along, it, it, it sort, of, sort of bears Jesus along. And not everybody's out of there, out of curiosity, wondering what this miracle worker might be doing. No, no. Among the crowd, there is this nameless woman who has suffered for 12 years. Her problem started 12 years ago, just when Jairus' daughter was born. She began bleeding. She didn't have OHEP, obviously, and there's no medical insurance. And like so many places in our world today, only the, those that are wealthy can afford to get sick. The poor have very little prospect of getting the help that they need, and they just get poorer. She has spent all that she had on doctors, on medication, but without any positive um, response. And you can imagine that as, she, as this problem started, and as she went to the market, how she might whisper to a friend what was going on, and they would say, oh, but I know somebody that had a similar situation, and they went to Dr. So-and-so, and he cured her, and so she would go off to the doctor, and, and then still the same thing. So then she would tell someone else, and, oh, but you've got to try this tea, this herbal tea, this worked all the time, and it worked for my aunt, I'm sure it'll work for you. And, and someone else would come up with something else, and another doctor, this time a specialist, another treatment, more medication, but the only result was anemia, depression, weakness, fatigue, and discouragement was her daily lot, not just a, a few days or, or a few months, but for 12 long years. And every day she would need to scrub her blood-stained clothes. And not only that, as she washed, she would be reminded of the fact that, that the law was very explicit. Somebody with a hemorrhage was considered unclean and was excluded from public life, from religious life, and from family life. And it was a tough situation for her. So finally, when she decides to go to Jesus, she's completely bankrupt. Morally, physically, emotionally, financially. He was her last resort. And this nameless woman doesn't talk to Jesus. She doesn't dare go up in front like Jairus did and say, hey, can I talk to you as well? She can't. She's not allowed to because she's unclean. And so unlike Jairus, she prefers to be anonymous, and she, she, she attempts the only thing that she can think of. She crouches down, and, and between the people that fo are following Christ, she makes her way directly behind him. And between the blur of tunics and sandals and sand and small kids, she leans forward, and she touches Jesus' robe. And at that very moment, that marvelous moment, she feels her bleeding has stopped, and her hemorrhaging is, is all, is, belongs to the past, and, and she's been restored. So she straightens up and, and she walks for a while along the crowd. And no doubt, if you would have seen her face, first the anxiety, first the do I dare or not, and her eyes down, and now what joy, what relief. She, her face is beaming. And she thought, now I can go home. Well, Jesus, Jesus won't allow the event to go by unnoticed. He's a complete savior. He had listened to Jairus and was responding. 
He didn't hear anything from this woman, but he has felt her trembling hand. Our Lord Jesus Christ both listens and feels. And it doesn't matter to him if, if it's a prominent leader of the synagogue or this nameless woman. Jesus receives everyone. You know, isn't it true that sometimes, sometimes we can come before Christ and we can articulate our needs in prayer. We know what we want. We know what we need. We know how to say it. There's other times when no words can be formed on our lips. Our minds are confused, or we're depressed. We can't think of the right things to say, or we've said them for so long, we don't know what else to say, because, you know, 12 years. But all we do is we stretch out our hands towards him. And in the eloquence of our silence, God himself feels our need. And the key thing is, of course, to, to bring our needs to Christ. When, when we can't talk, when we feel we have no rights because we're unclean or because we've spent all our energies and, and things just don't seem to improve, or when we don't know what to say or, or how to say it, when our answers seem so trite, there is somebody that understands us and somebody who has the power to resolve our problems as well. And so Jesus stops, and he asks this rather strange thing. And he says, well, who touched me? And obviously lots of people had been t t touching him, but, but this touch was unique. It was a purposeful touch. And the, the disciples, they, they go, you know, come on, Jesus, look at all the people. Like, like this, why do you ask that? And this lady first doesn't respond. She tries to hide behind her anonymity. She has no face, no name, but Jesus doesn't give up. He insists, no, no, but somebody touched me because I felt power go out of me. Someone touched me. So when this woman saw that she could no longer be hidden, she comes forward. And now again, trembling with fear, she kneels at Jesus' feet and she tells everything. She doesn't hide at all. She tells her problem, her story, and how she was instantly healed. The fascinating thing is she's no longer an anonymous sick person. She now has a story. She now has a voice. She's forced to tell what Jesus has done for her. No one can silence her now. No one can say you don't belong. No one can exclude her. She has to tell her story. And upon hearing her story, Jesus pronounces those words so full of good news. He says, daughter... Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Imagine that this nameless woman receives a name, an intimate name from the lips of our Lord. He calls her daughter. She's been restored to the family of God. What a miracle of grace. What joy. For her, yes. But what about Jairus? If, you've, if you can imagine the scene, you can picture Jairus becoming increasingly tense. His situation at home is urgent. He's witnessed the whole event. And we, we can imagine the thoughts that go through his mind. Please, please, please hurry. My daughter's dying. 
this situation at home is, is so urgent. Why, why does this poor lady, this nameless lady, have to interrupt the teacher now? He heard her story. She had 12 years of suffering. Couldn't she wait just half an hour longer? Like, why, why does she have to bother him now? She's clearly poor. Like, doesn't she understand in, in the social status of things she doesn't belong right now? So why does Jesus make her his priority? And yet you see, I think this is precisely the part of the story that we need to get. It's, it's part of what, what our Lord wanted to teach Jairus. Again, Luke could have told two separate stories, and they'd be good news stories. But he interwove these two stories with pastoral intent. This is a strategic tactic on our Lord's agenda. Besides giving back health to this lady, Jesus wants to strengthen Jairus' faith and to prepare him for what is about to happen. Jairus needed to learn a few things. He's not the only one that struggles with sickness. There's more people. And while he was enjoying his little daughter for those 12 years, here's someone else who's been sick for that entire time. And so Jesus is not indifferent at all, and even though it might seem like it. This is not divine impotence. No, no, this is a pastoral approach. Because God's timetable is always best, and through this apparent delay, Christ is deepening Jairus' convictions. He's actually giving him the tools so that he can strengthen his faith. God doesn't always answer the way we expect him to. He's not at our beck and call, but when he does, he does so well and with our best in view. And so Luke says that while Jesus is still talking, this messenger comes running up from home to Jairus. And he brings bad news. Jairus' worst fears have happened. He says, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Don't bother him. Your daughter has died. There's nothing else that can be done. It's all over. Case closed. Sorry. Too late. Jesus should look somewhere else for better prospects for a miracle. Jesus, however, gives a very different message, and, and Jairus needs to decide which message to believe. This messenger that comes from home with honest intentions, he comes with this message of discouragement, a message that could produce panic and intense grief. And on the other hand, Jesus gives him a message of hope, and he opens up a way of life in the middle of death. He says, don't be afraid. Only believe your daughter will be healed. And so often when suffering comes knocking on our doors, these two messengers come as well. One comes with the message of hopelessness. No use bothering Jesus. No use praying about it anymore. It's terminal. That's what the doctor said, right? And the other message invites faith. It encourages hope. No, no, if Jesus is present in some way or another, it will be well. And so, and so evidently Jairus believed Jesus' words. He didn't say, well, thanks, sir, for trying, but I don't need your services any anymore. He doesn't say anything at all. He's simply full of hope. He follows Jesus. When they arrive at the house, the professional weepers are all there, and all you can hear are wails all around. Paid music 
musicians are playing so sad songs that make the tears flow. And some are throwing dust and ashes in the air, and others are pulling out their hair. And they're all convinced that the girl is dead and that it's a tragedy because parents aren't supposed to bury their children. However, to this scene of tears and death and crying comes the Lord Jesus, the Prince of Life. And Jesus tells them to stop crying, and they just make fun of him. But Jesus keeps on. No, no, the death of this girl is not the end, but it is the way that he will demonstrate the power of God. And so keeping out the curious, he invites the faithful and those who love the girl. Jesus enters the room where the silence of death reigns, but he speaks a word of life. Without drama, without fanfare, he takes the little girl by her hand and he raises her up and he speaks, he acts, and the girl gets up. He brings her back to life and then he orders her parents to give her something to eat. And it's fascinating that even his supernatural intervention doesn't take away the very practical needs to give her food. Now, neither Luke or the other evangelists record the reaction of the parents, but we can imagine their indescribable joy as they're reunited with their daughter again and as they hold her in their arms. So two healings, the woman and this girl. Yes, suffering is a part of life. No one can avoid it. Pain is real and it hurts. It rips lives apart. It destroys family. It snuffs out dreams. It produces depression. It inspires grief. It deforms life. What are we going to do? Well, the story of Jairus and this woman who bled for 12 years shows us the way. It's one that we've known all along, but it's to bring our situation to Christ. Sometimes we will do it with words. Sometimes we'll have the courage to lay all, aside all rules of protocol and press our case before him. We are your covenant people. We belong to you. You've promised to do it. At other times, depression or shame or both will silence our mouths, and all we will dare to do is extend a trembling hand and lay hold on the promises of God. And then wait until he speaks. Don't be afraid. Or to hear those marvelous words, son, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Or little child, get up. And so that's the invitation that our Lord makes to you this morning. Whatever your needs might be, whether it's health or family concerns or financial concerns or you know, if you've got house payments and school payments and you just don't see the light, end, the light at the end of the tunnel or a burdened conscience due to sin, because of addiction, because you've tried to fix your life and you've spent all your energies, all you have, and are no better for it, come to him. Don't say, well, I'm not important. I, I'm, I'm just a, you know, an elderly person in this church and nobody really pays attention to me or I, I'm just a young person I you know I don't count yet or whatever it might be you might not be able to express yourself you don't probably even want others to know it doesn't matter whatever your situation we need to come well you say to me so can we expect Jesus to perform a miracle 
Well, that depends. We have to admit that miracles play a particular role in the ministry of Christ, and they give a preview of the new creation that he has come to bring about. At the same time, it's also true that Jesus does, in fact, perform miracles today. He, sometimes he uses ordinary means like doctors in an extraordinary way, and, and sometimes he simply intervenes. And yet, at the same time, we have no guarantee that our loved one will be healed the way that we want them to. And yet, and yet, and yet, as we are here today, we're part of a story, and that story reminds us that it's not over yet, and that there will come a day, and we wait for that day, that resurrection day, when our Lord Jesus will take our loved one by the hand, and he will say, son, daughter, child, get up to that eternally new day. And the good news is, though, that when we bring our situation to Jesus, we never need to walk alone. As we present our case, he walks with us, and he says, Don't, do not be afraid, only believe. And he walks with you, and he walks with those you love. And you can be sure that he will transform your life. He will gently make your faith grow. He will compassionately listen as you get to see his heart, his compassion, his kindness. And we will walk steadfastly towards the day when all things will be made new. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that Luke has interwoven two key stories to also help us understand more clearly how it is that you work in our lives. You know every heart, you know every home, every concern, every single person that's here this morning. And I pray that in whatever circumstances of life we are, we can bring our needs, our concerns, our questions, our loneliness, our anxiety, our pain to you. We thank you that you promise us that we don't have words. It is the Spirit who intercedes with groans that cannot be articulated, and he knows your heart, and he intercedes for us. We know, too, that our Lord Jesus Christ, even today, intercedes. So hear these prayers, O God, and glorify yourself in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.